appreciate you joining us for the latest episode of Get Wise College Admissions Explained. I'm Arun Panasami, and I'll soon be joined by the notorious FACT, Nicole Pilar. Nicole's a counselor here at CollegeWise, and she's legendary around these parts for her voluminous truth bombs on anything and everything college admissions. We're tackling Every Year of High School Matters as part of this season's discussion around the fundamental truths of college admissions. We'll discuss how admissions officers interpret the ups and downs in academic performance and how to find balance through all the challenges of high school, too. And we'll look to share some specific strategies. Well, grab a hold of something as I'm ready to be wowed by Nicole, and I hope you are, too. So, Nicole, I felt like I was a bit of your hype man there in the opening, and now I've got you here live in front of a microphone. But I must say, uh, for the listeners out there, as you know, we're recording these things remotely. It wasn't the original idea of where, you know, Frank Martinez, our producer, myself, and our guests were going to be in one room. So we're spread all over the country. And I'm looking at the background of the video feed I'm watching. And this is different than what I've been seeing as we've chatted over the last (laughs) few weeks. Tell me more. Um, So I decided that I wanted to see some family. I love my parents live in Northern California in Sonoma County. Shout out to the real actual wine part of California. Okay, Napa is nothing on Sonoma. Um, I mean, I love all of them. Casa Robles now. I, we could that's a whole other podcast okay right? like that's All literally right. a whole other podcast let's talk wine um which high school kids know yes. um but no so last week I, I flew up to see some family and um i am literally recording this from my childhood bedroom and it's kind of weird i feel like i'm walking back into high school i'm like literally i my the tassel you can see that my graduation tassels from college and high school are like right behind my shoulder ah that's what i see and i see a lot of pictures as well yeah when i was in high school um this was students, uh, you, you probably will never remember this, but the, the first iPhone came out when I was a junior in high school. And so before that, if you wanted to take photos, you had to have like those those cameras where you like it was a really big deal when there was a screen and you could like preview the camera afterwards and it had like little like like, I don't know, the uh, they were just the cameras that you you were able to like it was a big deal if you could see the picture after you took it like the early wow. digitals yeah um and so i remember when i was uh i think it was my sophomore year my parents it was they got me a digital camera and i just went wild so one of the things that i spent a lot of time doing was just going anywhere and taking random photos um i thought i was really edgy um it was not the case <laughs> junior year didn't we all <laughs> uh, right <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was pretty cool but no i'm really excited to see you guys and, and to be doing this and and talking about all the things high school awesome well i'm glad to have you here and you know we're just talking about junior year and uh, of high school and today's topic is every year of high school matters you know this season has been about fundamental truths and so we're going to attack this idea every year of high school matters and so i want to start off um nicole you've been answering loads and loads of questions on these you know facebook asked me um, anything. Yeah. So listeners, feel free to go to the CollegeWise Facebook page and you can see Nicole live in person with a different... Mondays, uh, 10 yeah. a.m. Pacific time. Oh, awesome. With a different look. Um, but I, I want to kind of start off with, you know, many students have this idea of this year is more important than that year. And we're at a place right now where many students are rolling off a particular year and they're looking forward to another year. What are you telling those students who are putting too much emphasis on one year versus another? How are you asking them to understand what the cadence of high school can and should look like? Yeah, I mean, I think... First off, it really depends upon the year the student is coming off of to some extent. But I like to look at the years of high school kind of like layers of a cake, um, partly because it makes high school seem a little bit more fun. Um, I don't know about you guys, but cake is one of my favorite things. Um, And so I think, you know, one of the things that that with high school, you know, the years kind of blend into each other, so to speak. Um, I talk a lot with my students about how, you know, the year prior to some extent sets you up for the opportunities, at least from an academic perspective at a lot of places, right. the following year, right? Um, this is a, um, by the way, the technical term for this in education is called tracking. Um, basically, you know, especially for students that are looking at like honors or AP levels, the the classes and how well you do in them the previous year determine what you're eligible to take. It's kind of like video game levels. That's how I relate it to my students, right? right. Like if you want to get to the next level, you have to hit 
hit a certain number of rings in Mario Kart or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I think this idea that one year matters more than others is is kind of looking at high school in a very singular lens. Whereas, yes, to some extent, each year has its own place in the cake, so to speak. But collectively, you're eating all of the layers, right? So we need to be looking at things from both a singular but also a collective lens. Right. Well, and that's certainly how the colleges, you know, view it, right? When they talk, oh, when you sure. hear a college admissions officer speak about holistic admissions, they're not just looking at those individual slices. They're looking at that entire cake, right? The transcript, um, right? Yeah, looking like, at everything. So speaking of transcript, I mean, I think I, I think this tends to be an area where a lot of students um, do get bogged down in terms of thinking about the mm-hmm. years is their their grades. Can you give me some sense of how you view and all the conversations you're having with admissions officers? How are they viewing the different grades in, in terms of how the students are performing? You mean like the years, like the diff- like grades, the years? I just want to clarify. Yeah, make sure that yeah. I, I mean, um, how do they view the grades from ninth grade versus the grades oh, from, okay, yeah. you know? So, you know, again, similar to this kind of like spillover effect or layers of cake. And I, as you will probably find for the rest of this podcast, I'm a huge believer in the metaphor. Um, <laughs> and so I like to tell students that when you're looking at you know, ninth grade, so to speak. Uh, I have this conversation a lot with my students. I like to say that ninth grade is the year that matters the least, but also matters the most, right? And it's kind of related to that spillover effect. What I mean by that is, you know, it matters the most in the sense that how a student performs, especially at certain high schools that do really, you know, very narrow tracking, right? Where they're looking at, you know, all the years to determine what you can take senior year for like science or whatever. Um, You know, ninth grade year is the kind of the the foundational building block. How you do in ninth grade at some schools, not everybody, I want to be clear about that, determines what you're eligible to take later on in the high school career. Um, But it also matters the least, right? Because we have to remember students are applying to college um, traditionally in the fall of their senior year. So who they were, you know, at 13, 14 years old is radically different than where they are when they're applying to college. So, you know, I think when students, you know, they say that freshman year doesn't count. I mean, there's a grain of truth in that to some extent, but I'd also argue that it actually counts incredibly just due to the nature of kind of how education is structured from uh, an academic class perspective. Um, and so that's kind of an example I would say of like, you know, when when people say what years matter more, um, it really is very fuzzy and does depend upon the student and also what, what they're trying to do in that year. Right. Well, and also those goals as to where um, where they're looking to go to college, because we know even mechanically mm-hmm. some schools will consider ninth grade in a slightly different light um, than another school might. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about that. But before we do, I do want to ask you, some students will hear, oh my gosh, ninth grade is super important. I don't know if I had the <laughs> best ninth grade. What's, what's your yeah. advice to those students who are like, eh, I had trouble just remembering my locker combination? <laughs> well, first off, student, you and I are in good company. I was also that kid. Uh-huh. Um, I, and I think this is where, again, that holistic, and I know that this is a buzzword, parents, I, you're probably sick of hearing all of us in the college admissions realm talk about holistic admissions. Um, you probably think it's now starting to become like a spa retreat name or something. <laughs> um, but it, really, this is where that, that does come into play, right? Um, I think we need to be mindful of the fact that there are some students that the tradition, excuse me, the transition to high school is particularly not a good one, right? Um, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they they were going to high school and other friends were going. Maybe there was stuff going on in their home life that was really challenging. Um, and so schools are going to look at the, at the transcript in a contextual view, right? I think there's also something to be said about, you know, let's say you're a student that starts off maybe not so strong uh, at the beginning of high school, right? Because that transition was rough. But then you kind of started climbing the mountain, right? You started taking on more rigorous classes. You started doing better in those classes, right? Um, This is where, you know, if I'm looking at a student's transcript, I'm looking at the progression of performance over a period of time. Mm -hmm. So to some extent, you know, I'd like to say that for some students, you know, if you start off really strong, you know, I'm hoping that you continue that strength over the course of high school. But also if you're, if you're not a student that did well at the beginning of high school, it's not like, oh my gosh, the world is over. I can't go to college. In fact, it's it's the contrary. I would actually say that for me, some of my favorite students are the ones that are kind of the under dogs, right? The ones that started off, you know, a little bit struggling in ninth grade, but then they really kind of pushed themselves over the course of their high school career and and showed that development because there's some really good stories and lessons in there. And especially, and this is on the other side too, um, 
you know, if, if I'm a, if I'm a college or a university, I know that I, I joke and say this, hopefully it doesn't literally happen, but kids are going to kind of be punched in the face by life at some point, right? Either in college or, you know, thereafter. And so I think when I'm looking at a student's transcript and I'm seeing that they struggled, I want to know how did you recover from that struggle, right? What does that struggle look like? And what did, what did the kind of overcoming that? Um, because I know that that will likely happen to you at some point in college. And so I, as an admissions officer, this is also where like the essay questions, for example, you've seen these room, right? Where they talk about like, like talk about a challenge and how you've overcome it or whatever. Um, if the school asks that, they're literally looking for evidence of it. But you can definitely see some of that in the transcript if that's if that's there. Right. And well, and as I had mentioned, you know, um, you're you're a whiz when it comes to the UCs and the Cal States. Um, <laughs> ninth grade. How are they viewing that? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, this is where you guys get to hear me like really nerd out. Um, so for those of you out there that don't know, the UC, uh, which is the University of California and the Cal State system or the CSU system here in, in CA, um, they, they they calculate GPA for the systems and they do so in a very specific way. So while the student's going to report their entire transcript on the application and the grades associated with those classes, they calculate the UC Cal State GPA using uh, year 10 and 11 uh, approved courses. There's these whole list of courses called the A through G's. Um, And so students that have classes that qualify as A through G, that's what they use to to calculate the GPA. Um, But they still see ninth grade, right? It's not like it's not there. So for example, let's say you're a student that started off, um, you know, maybe taking all honors classes freshman year, and then you stop taking those over the course of high school. As I'm reading that application, I'm going to be like, wait, what? I'm going to be actually looking for that. This is where I spend a lot of time with my students talking about intentionality of coursework, right? If you're going to, you know, if you do well in an honors or an AP class to some extent the assumption by the reader is going to be that you continue that performance and you continue that level of coursework Mm -hmm. the following year unless you give me an explanation why not um i will say and i gotta i gotta give this shout out cal poly san luis obispo Oh, good old Cal Poly slow. They, because they are so competitive to get into, they actually use ninth grade as part of their internal GPA admissions calculation, mm-hmm. which just like blows my mind. Right. Um, but it also speaks to the fact that, you know, especially for some of these schools that, you know, historically, obviously with COVID this year, there's been some big changes. But, you know, if you're only looking at things from a GPA perspective, there's an argument to be made about including ninth grade in the GPA. Um, but this is where I, I, I love applications that give those additional information sections because they allow me to view those applications in a contextual light. And the overwhelming majority of colleges out there include some additional information section or some opportunity within the documents that either the counselor sends or you send or whatever to explain some of those choices and maybe some of the challenges that might have happened. Well, and, you know, kind of as as you were noting, even with the Cal, Cal State San Luis Obispo example, certainly when we talk about private universities and then certainly when we talk about the most selective universities, they absolutely are still looking at ninth oh, grade, yeah. right? And I think that's one of the things that can be a little bit tough for some of the kids who have visions of the most selective schools out there. There's a little less room to kind of be knocked off your horse in ninth grade and get back on and recover. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about a dozen schools there. That still leaves you with thousands of other schools. Yeah, as... there's like something like 3,500 or 43, depending on what you qualify as an institution of higher education, right? But, you know, if we're talking about these super selective schools, I call them the bumper sticker schools or like the sweatshirt schools, right? Because if you see the logo, you like, oh, that's brown, right? The little sun star at the top of the logo. <laughs> right. um, you know, and no shame to brown, but I think you know, and this is where I think we have to have some real talk with parents, right? If you are, are aiming or you are a student that's aiming for these super, super selective schools, you have to know the pond that you're swimming in, right? Princeton, there was a statistic uh, I heard a couple of years ago, Princeton could admit two and a half entering freshman classes of just valedictorians. Right. Just valedictorians. Yep. So that's like just kids that have like perfect transcripts, right? Yep. So, you know, I think when we're, you know, if, and I don't say that, you know, in a celebratory way. I mean, you and I would have a whole other podcast about the fact that these institutions have buttloads of money and quite frankly could admit so many more students and create access to higher education and you you utilize all those opportunities and don't. But I think with students, if you're looking at your transcripts, you know, absolutely you should be pushing in those classes and definitely, you know, different years to some extent have different weight. But it also it is also important to look at it from the arc perspective, right? Like what is the story over time, but also what is story what is your story in those bursts of time? Right. Um and that's where, you know, it kind of gets exciting. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and so speaking of these bursts of time, um we have students who are listening, you know, some of the most um anxiety ridden students are the ones who are going to be heading into this new school year, right? And in particular, there are going to be those seniors who, you know, some of those late bloomers, you talk about that cadence, and they're kind of going like, okay, now I get it. Now I've got goals. Now I've got vision. 
I've got senior year. What role can and cannot, what role, um, those grades, what will they play in the admissions process? Um, okay. So that's actually a really good question. Um, and this is where I'm going to use a phrase that families, if I got a nickel for every time I said this, I would be living in Beverly Hills. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, this is where I would say it really does depend on the institution, right? Some schools are, you know, by like, I'm going to pick on the UCs and the Cal States. Uh, they don't look at senior, they look at what classes you're taking senior year. They absolutely care that you're continuing to challenge yourself senior year, but they're not necessarily going to look at the grades. Um, but it also depends upon the, the, the time that you're applying, right? A lot of colleges have those early action, early decision priority deadlines. And they may or may not ask for, you know, potentially first quarter. Um, they may ask for for, for semester grades. Uh, and so this is where I would say students, you know, regardless of where you're applying to college, don't mess up senior year. Um, senior year, especially for students that maybe, you know, that arc is still building momentums, momentum, so to speak, that can actually be a really great redeemer year. Uh, this is maybe where you have a conversation with, um, you know, your family, your counselor, whoever out there that you talk to about college planning. Um, and you think about for, you know, maybe you apply to schools that have January or February deadlines so you can showcase a really strong first semester, right? Or maybe you're a student that's applying early, but you want to email your admissions officer being like, hey, look at my first quarter grades. I'm crushing it this year. Um, that's actually a hot tip for you families out there. I think that that's something that, you know, obviously don't, e you know, bombard them with emails. But if that's something that you want to include as part of your application, then certainly let them be aware of that. Um, I think the other thing, too, about senior year is, uh, also the rigor of classes that you're taking. Um, I talk to my students about senior year being considered the college prep year, right? Like it's not the year that you're going to the beach. Right. I mean, you can go to the beach. I'm not saying don't go to the beach, although, you know, wear a mask right now, guys. Um, <laughs> but definitely be thinking about, you know, what level of courses are you taking? Because especially for these more selective institutions, like it's going to be hard there, right? They're going to be looking at your transcript and your academic performance as a, can you academically hang on our campus? Can you be successful, right? Because if let's say the admissions officer admits you and you're just, you're not academically strong, that faculty member is going to come back to admissions and be like WTF like right. why'd you admit this kid so um senior year I would say for students you know you want to be challenging yourself appropriately this is not me giving you permission to take every single AP class known to man right but it is me saying push where you're strong survive where you're weak you should be preparing yourself for college level work so that does mean you know you should probably be if you haven't taken an honors class yet consider taking an honors class right maybe your high school offers an AP history class and you're hoping to apply into something that's more social science consider taking that not only is it a going to showcase that you're challenging yourself right and you're preparing yourself for that college but you're also likely to do better at that college because you've been exposed to a higher degree of of, of classwork and, and demand on um, your performance so right. senior year to me i think can be really beneficial for students that need that like extra like you know look at me look at how i've kind of redeemed myself but it's also just as important for those students that have really strong transcripts so to speak because you don't want to put take your foot off the gas so second semester, senior year, it's just not easy street? Oh. <laughs> Au contraire, my friend. Um, this is where I find you've, you've probably had this conversation with your kids too, right? Where, you know, they're done submitting their applications and they're like, cool, I can drop AP English because I'm like done. No. Um, big, important thing for seniors out there. When you actually fill out your applications, they're asking you what classes you're taking senior year. So if you put down that you're taking, um, you know, honors, government or something right and it's a full year class if you drop the honors designation just go down to regular government you have to report that to that college because remember if they admit you that following spring they're admitting you on a conditional basis they're admitting you on the condition that you complete that school year um, successfully based off the way that you reported it right otherwise you're at risk of having your admissions offer revoked um, I'm going to give you a scary example um, a few years ago I think it was like four or five years ago um, UC Santa Cruz revoked like you know around 300 50 admissions officers because kids didn't keep up their end of the bargain um it was you know either they didn't send in documents or they didn't you know various things but a lot of it was they didn't report either failing a class that they said that they were going to complete or they dropped down a level so seniors you want to finish the year strong um, because your schools are admitting you on that conditional basis meaning they can absolutely revoke admissions if something has changed in the transcript and if something has changed call them that doesn't mean by the way that just you know maybe something really bad happened right maybe uh, i had a student who unfortunately had a, a family death in the family around the uh, finals period of uh, his first semester senior year. And so he didn't do so hot in some of his classes. And we immediately had him reach out to the universities in question that he had submitted apps to. And all of them were very understanding once he gave that context. So I just want to like tell students, yes, you absolutely need to try. If something does happen, though, that's really out of your control, not like you just being, you know, I'm going to the mall and shopping every day, um, let the college know because they're likely to, they're likely to 
forgive if you let them know sooner, so to speak, and give you alternative options, and they'll appreciate the heads up as well. Yeah, well, I, I, we, we're always encouraging our students to be proactive in their communication mm-hmm. with schools. I mean, I mean, we're seeing that right now with a number of students um, who are put in pretty awkward positions, uh, given what they've been posting on social media, and colleges oh gosh, are reaching yes. out to them, and the kids who have been proactive saying, I messed up, they're finding colleges take one particular route with their you know matriculation, and the kids who kind of tried to bury it, hide it, not take ownership... Um, are being dealt with in a entirely different way. So um, with the UCs, I do want to add, Nicole, um, there is a tiny little world a, a world in which senior year grades can directly matter with the UCs, right? Yeah. Um, I would. Yeah, the wait list. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, and see, this is the, you know, the my favorite wacky wild world of the UCs, because I think there's this misconception out there that because, you know, they're just kind of like satellite branch campuses of like one unit. But in fact, all admissions are done independently at each school. Um, and each school, by the way, you know, they all have separate portals and all that fun stuff. Uh, so I do want to mention UC San Diego this past year did require students to admit for, or excuse me, uh, applicants to report for semester grades um, for students. I, by the way, because of COVID, I will put money on the fact that that's going to be a requirement at more and more colleges this year yep. including the ucs um potentially even first semester grades or excuse me not first semester grades potentially first quarter reports right. or trimester they're going to want to see okay so now that things have theoretically calmed down a bit and we've all adapted to this new reality whatever that actually looks like in your district um the hope is that they'll be able to uh, more accurately assess academic performance um but yes especially for waitlist and it's not even just at the ucs by the way waitlists are um as many of our, our graduating seniors are aware the the year of the waitlist has just exploded i think especially in light of covid um and i don't particularly see that trend dying down all that much i think a lot of colleges are, are being very judicious in their use of waitlist and so that's where those senior year grades and that you know making sure that you are holding up your end of the bargain so to speak with the classes that you're reporting can really make a difference because they again want to admit students that are going to be successful on their campuses um and so that's where when you send off your final transcript if you are on the waitlist that will be something that they take into consideration as part of their uh who do we take off the waitlist if we can right well let, let's let, let's pull the lens out just a little bit you you had mentioned mentioned um these bumper sticker schools and you'd also mentioned like <laughs> hey i don't have my seniors take every single ap out there right yeah. but we also know that a lot of those schools are saying we want to see you take a rigorous um mm-hmm. curriculum so are you finding in, as you counsel kids because there are going to be some students who have some flexibility in terms of course selection um yeah. it, is there a certain number of courses out there in terms of ab you know ib that t- to be competitive this is always like, uh, you know, I feel like when people ask me this question, the next one is what's the magic potion uh, to getting into Harvard? Uh, yes. Spoiler, if I had that, I would be on QVC right. uh, and hawking <laughs> that with Lori Grenier from Shark Tank, like nobody's business. Um, no, I, I think this is, you know, when we, when we talk about course selection, and, and this is something, by the way, that I want to put out to parents, this is such a personal thing. Um, I spend a lot of time with my students on course planning just because of every kid is different and how they respond to their academic environment. And so I think, you know, by just giving blanket generic statements, it's actually somewhat perpetuating the problem that we're trying to solve at the same time, right? Um, mental health is a huge problem in this country. And a lot of that is tied to the fact that we have kids that are staying up until two, three in the morning right. doing, you know, trying to take like seven AP classes, right? Um, and in fact, this is going to sound kind of bad, but just, or no, actually, I don't think it sounds kind of bad. The nine times out of 10, those kids tend to be less interesting to some extent, right? Because they're so overexerting themselves. I had, you know, I'm, I'm, I had a student that I worked with and I, to this day, it's, it's this, the kind of story I tell to kind of remind my students, you need to be mindful of your time. Um, you know, she was a student that went to a, a district that just basically allows kids to sign up for any honors or AP class, no matter what. So she went from sophomore year, having only done like two honors classes to taking honors and AP everything junior year and everything on the extracurricular side of the application just shriveled up and died because she had no time. Right. And right. so then we go into the application season where she's filling out those apps and yeah, she's kicked butt on those classes. She's done amazing. But outside the classroom, it's like, what did we do? Right. And so I think when we talk about, you know, those those bumper sticker schools, those highly selective schools, and this is the thing that drives parents absolutely crazy. Right. Is that there really is no formula for course selection. Um, There really is no um, 
no magic bullet, right? Yes, the gen here's the thing, you can also go onto all of those websites. These colleges are very aware of that. Like I think Yale has a really good page about like, here's what we expect. Harvard has another one. I'm pretty sure all the Ivies have a, here's what we recommend to students. My big recommendation, unless a student has a very, uh, very clear um, major or objective goal in mind, uh, especially because senior year, you have so much more flexibility in scheduling because you've hit a lot of those requirements at a lot of schools, right? You maybe don't have to take a history or you don't have to take a math. I still recommend my students you take the core five the core five being you know history social science english which i think every every high school requires all four years at this point um if you can take a foreign language uh typically especially at these highly selective institutions um you know i'm thinking the liberal arts college ones they still want to see evidence of foreign language ability uh, and especially for stem kids i think they, that my stem students think oh i don't have to do anything in the humanities or social sciences i'd actually argue you're a far more interesting stem kid if you understand the fact that like so much science takes place in other countries with other languages i had a student i think i talked to you about him maroon he was my kid that he's doing genetics right now genetics research super cool kid but he um realized that he wanted to teach himself german because the second most like published yep. language for scientific journals is in german so he literally spent a summer just learning german because there was i don't know some geneticist at the university of dresden or something right. that had some really cool articles right so i would say history social science foreign language english math and then of course like your actual sciences like biochem and physics but if you're a student that has like a very particular goal in mind that's where i think senior year you can maybe have the conversation about being a little bit flexible with your curriculum um and then the last thing i'll say is really it's about challenging yourself appropriately and by that i mean appropriately really thinking about how much time you have in the day. Uh, I joke with my students all the time about the fact that one of the great privileges and punishments when you become, as you become an adult is that like you have now a lot more choices to make with your time. You just don't have a lot more of it. Right. And so if we think about the, the like demands of time that a lot of these classes are going to have on students, you know, it has to be a balance. Otherwise, quite frankly, they're not going to necessarily be the most interesting. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the, and this is where, again, it's like, it's hard for me to give specific like guidance. Like you must take AP English, right? Or you must take IB math analysis. No, just tell me. I want a number. Different. Just tell me how many APs. How many? Exactly. <laughs> no, so um, you've there been talking <laughs> a lot about time here and relative to, you know, performing academically. I, I want to kind of bring it over to the extracurriculars. You know, when we talk about the importance of every year, in the admissions process, um, how do kids need to think about their extracurriculars? Because on one hand, we're telling them, go out, take risks, go out and explore. On the other hand, we're telling them, dig in deeper, you know, <laughs> develop a passion. That can sound like a mixed message. Um, oh, totally. If you start speaking to a, a ninth or 10th grader, how might your advice vary from that, like, you know, second semester, junior, kid in their senior year as they think about their extracurriculars and how to devote time, balance it, dive deeper? Totally. Um, the first thing I'll say is I actually hate the word passion. I think it's ridiculous that we tell 17-year-olds they must find their passion. Um, I will be turning 28, can't believe I'm saying this, on a podcast this month, and I still haven't really found my passion. So students out there, trust me. By the way, your passions will change. Um, photography, I have an Instagram, haven't posted anything to it. So <laughs> just speaking out to the whole idea of passion. Um, and this is where I think with, with younger students, it's really about cultivating. It's not really about finding the thing, but rather cultivating their ability to get curious right again i'm kind of tying it back to these sweatshirt schools these bumper sticker schools it's really about helping enable the student to dive deep into an interest area by the way that interest area can change so when i'm working with my students i think freshman year is really the just sign up for whatever kind of year right you're still in high school to be honest you're probably still figuring out how to get up in the morning and get there on time to some extent without your mom calling you down for breakfast um so i would say freshman year to me is kind of the exploratory year for students that don't really have a uh, have for students that haven't identified an interest of theirs that they really want to in dive into um and then with my sophomore year students uh typically at the end of the year i, t I have my like end of the year wrap-up meeting and one of my favorite parts of that is so what did you learn about yourself and your interests this year you know and so some of my students are like you know well i tried this and i wasn't really a fan I, but I tried Model UN and I really loved the research part of it. And so I'm like, cool, let's like, let's kind of figure out how can we expand upon that this year, both either a formal or an informal way. Um, and then I would say junior year, you know, that's where we kind of have to, we know that academically students are having a, a higher demand on their time because typically junior year and in many places is where you have higher demands for APs and honors classes and those types of things. So students are taking more demanding curricula. Um, but this is also, I think, the time with junior year. Uh, if you're a student that's identified an interest area, this is where you really want to dive in deeper because, again, your time will be limited. That doesn't mean for students, if you're like, oh, my God, I'm not, like, in love with mock trial. What do I do? 
you might be a kid that wants to take a community college class. You might be a kid that wants to get a, a job at In-N-Out, which by the way, please call me, love free food, number three, ketchup, mustard, <laughs> and sex bread, right? Like I think this is where with, with students, it really kind of depends on, on meeting them where they're at. If they have, but it's really about also identifying their ability to to engage with something that you're they're interested in. Um, I have a student, you know, who she is really, really passionate about, um, like when she started working with me, by the way, she thought she wanted to be a doctor. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. But, you know, one of the things that's really hard uh, if you're under the age of 16 to become, um, like, to go into hospitals and everything. So we we actually, she had the idea one summer, she was going to go through the Kaiser directory and literally interview every single, like, two people from every department. Um, I'm pretty sure her mom sat in, like, the corner of a Starbucks while she had, like, these 30-minute interviews with people <laughs> from different departments. And at the end of summer, I said, so, so what did you learn? She said, I don't want to be a doctor. Terrific. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Right? So I think it's really, you know, helping and enabling students to, to kind of explore their interest areas and if they find they like something let's and let's like find other ways that they can dive into that from different perspectives but it's okay to change course students that student by the way that thought she wanted to be a doctor she's going to berkeley next year because she wants to do poli sci and work on like social justice issues yep um she found her calling in mock trial and stuff and we still found other things that she could get involved in after that right well and that's something you know from when i look at it from the admissions perspective of things uh you know, when we talk about curiosity, passion, whatever you want to call it, these are all transitive properties. So if we can see elements of it in one activity, we feel pretty confident that you'll carry it it across, right? I mean, it's not as if as an admissions officer, we were admitting all these athletes who were going to play on our sports teams, but we knew that a lot of those student athletes were, they were the kind who could get up at 530 in the morning, you know, after they had had a terrible night before. They were the kinds of kids who... When things didn't go their way, they could still pick it up and keep charging forward. So a lot of those things carry over, whether it's the theater department writing for the school paper. There's ups and downs and... You know, you learn those collaborative well, skills. Well, you and I talk about like those social emotional learning skills, mm-hmm. right? Like these these kind of these elements of a student that demonstrate qualities of success. Um, I, I remember the there's statistics I read a couple years ago that like seventy percent of students change their major at least once in college. Right. And so students, you know, when when college admissions officers are reading your applications, they understand that the likelihood of you changing your mind is incredibly high. Right. But especially, you know, for like like you were saying, right, they want to see, OK, if you've if you've been able to dedicate yourself to an idea or a topic in, in high school, the likelihood of you being able to do so in college and, and and really commit yourself to exploring that is really high. Um, so especially for those more selective institutions where they, they want to have those kids that are going to be honestly unique and weird and dive into their interest areas uh that's where that's those kind of transitive properties as you say i really like that phrase i'm gonna steal it from you man Ah. um that's where that kind of comes into play and the evidence of that on the application and the different ways you can demonstrate that is is pretty fun well you you use the word balance earlier and you know i think for as you grow older you, you you develop ways to kind of find that balance right um but i think for a lot of young people it becomes easy to like figure out how to prioritize what kind of advice are you giving in terms of like staying balanced between life these extracurriculars and school oh um sometimes i wonder if i'm the right person to give that advice to just because i'm the girl (laughs) that i'm the girl like (laughs) i'm pretty sure you've seen my calendar and you're like whoa um i think that when it comes to balance um Yes, but you do find balance, right? I mean, you've <laughs> this is referenced true. This like is true. 73 TV shows. No, I've never I know even... this is true. I'm a, I'm a big reality television is kind of my, my balancing act. Yeah. No, I, I would say, you know, I think the first thing, there's a, there's a layer be- behind this question that I think a lot of students sometimes uh, do to the nature of just kind of how fast paced their lives are. Mm-hmm. I think in order to find balance, you have to find the time to be self-reflective, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to be able to understand like how what is balance look like for you? Um, I will be 100% honest. Um, for me personally, the idea of going on vacation and at least not checking my email for like an hour a day is not relaxing at all. Like I just need to just check in and see. You guys are constantly making fun of me for that, by the way, right. but it pays off, <laughs> right? But for some other students, you know, or for other people, that balance is literally doing everything and then shutting off. So I think, you know, students, my best advice to you would one, be mindful of the fact that what works for other people in terms of balance and what that looks like does not necessarily have to be the case for you, but it does mean kind of looking internally and having those hard questions about like what can you actually handle 
right? I think for so many of my students, they're so afraid of failure. In, in their mind, failure is like not being able to juggle like 50 plates in the air and what the, like the, like the percussions of that are, or rather the repercussions of that, that inevitably they kind of like drive themselves into the ground. Um, and so I want to acknowledge out there for all the students, all the families, like it's scary to, it's scary to look at yourself and recognize what your limits are. It's scary to have to say no. Um, but I think that in fact, if anything, students, if you can, if you can find that time, and I, summer is a really great time for that, by the way, um, because you're not kind of distracted by school, but really be thinking about and reflecting on, okay, wh- what worked this past year? What didn't work? How did the approach to your academics and the balance, balance, so to speak, or how did you manage your time between all the things that were demanding your time? Did you do that well? Did you not do that well? Where do you see yourself leaning more of your time in, like, where do you see yourself using more of your time this year? And what do you want to pull back from? I think, you know, one of the benefits that I, I see in, in my end of the year conversations with students is kind of giving them those questions. And I've found that for my students, especially if we start working together earlier, they tend to be more self-reflective and tend to be much more balanced as the school, as like the time in high school goes on because they've recognized their limits. Um, meditation is a really wonderful thing. And I've, I've, I use it a lot with my students, but also just kind of like finding that time for self-reflection and, and talking it out through somebody. Right. Well, and I think we see there's so much great research out there, data-driven advice on students need eight, nine hours of sleep. Those are the ones who succeed. Those are the ones who thrive in high school and college. We see lots of research. You mentioned the journaling, reflection, the students who don't have every minute or every hour of their day scheduled, scheduled, scheduled. Um, they fare better than those kids who have every single minute or hour scheduled, scheduled, scheduled. Um, The neuroscience, just the healthy teen psychology, you got to be able to step back and put everything you're doing into some sort of uh, context. That means spending time with family, with friends. And I think that, like, you know, and I'm going to potentially get in the controversial zone right now. You know, those sweatshirt schools that we all know the names of on the East Coast. Nobody wants to talk about the dirty little secret, the fact that there's, there's high levels of suicide. You know, one right. of the things I follow every single, um, I, it's a it's a weird obsession with my job, but uh, I follow all of the different student newspapers at like the top 100 universities and colleges in America. And if you want to find out all the stuff that kids are complaining about and all the problems on a campus, you look at the student newspaper. Right. Right. Um, and so nobody wants to talk about, you know, the fact that there are very real mental health issues on these campuses, right? right? So you, we see our kids, and I think the colleges, by the way, are very aware of this. It's just really hard to some extent to know, right? Um, but, you know, you, you see at some of these schools, these kids that are literally killing themselves to get into these institutions, and then they get there. And there's a very, you know, I'll admit, I went to a school that is supposedly one of the most selective colleges in America now or whatever, right? It's got an admit rate I would never get in. And I remember when I stepped foot, like the first couple months when I stepped foot on campus, there was a very real moment where I realized, okay, I'm no longer the smartest kid in the class. Mm-hmm. And that was uncomfortable for like the first three months of college. Like that was a weird feeling because for so long I had got my, my identity had been attached to that. Right. Sure. Like I was that kid, right. you know, I never had to really study. Um, and so there was a very, very big slap in the mind <laughs> when right. that happened. So I think, you know, students, it's uncomfortable as you get older to realize the things that you can and cannot do. But in fact, I think you will be better served in the admissions process if you do that self-reflection and really dial down and say, you know what, I'm going to have to take a couple of hours more to do math than I am English and that's okay, yep. right? Or I, you know what, as much as I'd love to do water polo, I'm much more dedicated to mock trial and I will go to every single water polo game with my friends, but this is where my interests lie, yep. right? Or maybe you're a kid that doesn't want to do formalized activities and you want to i don't know breed venus flytrap plants in your backyard cool man like let's do it right Right. i think this there's this notion that students feel like they have to have you know they have to be involved in everything and they have to do it at the zenith you actually will go further by doing less than you will by doing more yeah zenith now you sound like you're channeling paul canarak he's the only other person who'd use that word but you know we (laughs) hang out (laughs) well no but i mean you do bring up a good point i mean this idea of balance it you know, depending on what your goals and ambitions are, some students are willing to give up some of that balance for this perceived idea of like, this is what will make me successful. But again, you know, we have the luxury of sitting with the data. And so often it turns out not not to be accurate, you know, for so many of the students that we see getting into the most into the most selective schools, it's almost just this natural byproduct of being passionate, being curi- curious, oh, and, yeah. as opposed to just programming every single minute. Of themselves. I would say for every student I've had that has gotten into those schools, 
um, the overwhelming majority of them, and I'm talking like 90% plus, um, have been kids that have been comfortable with identifying the things that they enjoy and spe- like just in being willing to let go of others. Um, right. So I think, you know, and, and the, the pressure to get into these schools, I think, is a huge part of that problem. Um, you know, we... Well, not pressure from me or you. Yeah, no, just the pressure from society. There's this weird, and you know, that's a whole other podcast topic, friends. But, um, you know, there's this big misconception out there that that you, in order to have a good life, you have to go to these like big fancy, hard to get into colleges. And, you know, there's very anecdotal data about that. Like I always point out the fact that, you know, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, went to Auburn University, which has a, a pretty high admit rate, right? You look at these examples of people that have done really remarkable things. So I think it's it's not... You know, yes, you will, there's an argument to be made that you'll have more opportunities at these schools, whatever that means. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to take advantage of them. One of the things I always talk about with my students is you could go to Harvard, but if you don't like Harvard, if you're not academically feeling it there, if you don't see like your tribe and your people there, if you don't feel comfortable, it doesn't matter that you went to Harvard. You're not going to be happy. Um, and most of the time, you know, success is tied to a student's ability to be happy and adjusted on a campus. And that's where they really start to thrive. And that's one of the things I love about working with my students and my job, quite frankly, is I get to, I joke and say, I'm like your kid's Tinkerbell, right? <laughs> I get to hopefully make magic happen. Um, but a lot of that is dependent upon the student's willingness to also engage in that self-reflection and to be really thinking about, okay, do you see yourself doing well in this environment? Because remember, you're there for four years. It's I joke and say it's kind of like a marriage. Like the college admissions process is like the bachelorette or the bachelor to some extent. Again, another TV show I've never it's, watched. I'm very sad they're not filming right now. Yeah. It's it's really disturbing, quite frankly. Socially distant. Uh, yeah. Dating. How do you do that show? Um, so let me let me turn our attention to something we haven't had a chance to um, talk much about. Um, what about summers? You know, they're they're kind of that connector between these various school years what kind of advice are you giving your students in terms of planning their summers and how are colleges evaluating summers and any sense of how you think they're going to evaluate this particular summer (laughs) oh my friend for that last part of that question if if i had the answer to that again i'd be on qvc hawking that um so I, i use a phrase with my students a lot i i view summer as kind of the third semester um but just, you know, you don't have grades or test scores, right? It's kind of, you know, the real time to, to all the things that you necessarily didn't have time to explore or engage in or do during the school year. What do you, how can you do that in the summer? Um, and that's actually some, like one of the things I spend with my younger students, especially when we have our check-in throughout the year, I'm always kind of trying to take notes of, okay, well, if you had more time, what would you be doing? And I try to keep track of that um, in like a Google Doc or whatever for my kids. And then at the end of the year, when we have their like review of the year session, um, really be thinking, okay, so you mentioned this, you mentioned this, like how do we talk about that? So I, I actually, besides summer being, um, you know, when my birthday is it's a fun <laughs> a fun time but um are you claiming I, I see... entire season is, is that yes we're at? yes i am okay. yes i am birthday. um I, right. because i'm gonna be stuck in it's a whole birth season okay quite frankly um right. it's the gemini in me what can i say okay. uh but i so I, I view summer as kind of the time to really engage with those interest areas and i like to group activities and interests in kind of two different buckets i like to talk about formalized activities and informalized activities formal in my mind are things with like more structure so stuff like you know community college classes i love community college classes by the way the community college system in this country does not get enough credit for what it does it's like read. you know the infantry of higher ed honestly <laughs> they're the people that you just kind of forget about but are doing the real work um and so i love when students are like you know what i I really i'm really interested in taking an anthropology class okay cool like go take that at the community college there's just so many more options there so that's like more of a formalized example because there's structure associated with there's like a time there's also a grade but then you can also talk about informal things like i had a student of mine you know, that, that kid that I mentioned, you know, the one that wanted to explore medicine but couldn't do so in, like, a formal, like, volunteer program because she wasn't of age. You know, that was an informal way to explore that interest area. Um, I had another student of mine um, that was really, in, like, really interested in biology. Um, and he wanted to literally grow a garden with, like, random plants and like he wanted to like uh take like different chemical compositions like he wanted to like fertilize them and see what would happen he was really interested in like just understanding how chemistry affects plants um and so we literally created and he like had like a log and all that cute stuff at another kid um this is more of an informal example she loved english i mean she was like my one kid where we could have real talks about like dostoevsky and like you know really fun authors and so i remember she came into my office and said pick a number between one and ten thousand and i was like i think i said like seven thousand six hundred forty two or something (laughs) And she's like, cool, that's how many pages I'm going to read this summer. And I was like, 
okay. Wow. She actually ended up reading over like 10,000 um, because she went through and she got like, you know, those Barnes and Noble classics books that are like super cheap most of the time. So she went and she was like, I want to travel around the world and read an author from every single continent. But then I also want to identify like certain authors that I love and try to read all of their collected works. This is a kid, by the way, that spent like 10 hours reading. Like I fully right. expect her to be a literature professor because yeah. she just love loved it. analyzing Hard themes. to believe they're kids who love reading for fun. I know, right? So it's shocking. Jarring. She was probably my only kid that actually read emails. Yeah. That's great. But well, um, so I think with summer, it's, yeah, right. Um, so I think with summer, it's it's really about students. Again, you'll notice that a big theme of what I've been saying over this podcast is reflection, 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 right? Like, you know, cue song for Mulan. But it's really kind of thinking about what is it that you're curious about? What is it that, you know, is there a problem in the world that you just want to learn more about? Is there a concept from your chemistry class that you're just like, you know what, that was really cool. I want to learn more about that. Or was there, um, you know, a moment in your um i don't know one of your elective classes like i had a kid that took woodworking initially and thought he would hate it he was like this is i don't know why i have to do this as an elective like i have to do a visual performing art requirement and then he actually like i think home depot is probably his favorite store at this point because he just really he loved the idea of making things with his hands and like being able to demonstrate them and so i remember when he applied to colleges he actually um he took pictures of all of his pieces and we included that as part of like a supplemental portfolio of just like hey this is how i've been spending my free time and i remember on one of his acceptance letters um the dean of admissions or like the vp one of like the high ups for enrollment uh, at that school wrote i really want you to come to our college and use our wood shop so you can make me a table i'll be your first customer and i'm just like right like that's just so much like i also really want that table right um so i think you know summer is such a such a great time but i also here's the other thing too i want to say about this before we move on to other topics is that summer by the way students does not mean that it's jam-packed i think there's this misconception out there that you have to have summer planned like minute by minute day by day like itinerary you also want to take time to rejuvenate, so to speak, right? You know, especially between, you know, some of the years as you, as you're getting into higher coursework, if you're, you know, starting to challenge yourself that summer before, you know, junior, senior year, you and I, our students are outlining essays, filling out applications, like this is that time, right? So you want to at least spend some time, you know, having some of that downtime, you know, reconnecting with your family, um, take, you know, getting some of that reflection, going out for walks or whatever you do to find that balance, whatever that activity is to help you find that balance, make sure to dedicate some of that because you're going to need to refill the tank because you know that the next year is going to be pretty demanding most likely. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned uh, holistic admissions and I've got to ask one question before I kind of ask you for a final thought or two, but um, a kid who's got good grades, not great grades, um, can you all of a sudden kind of find your way to an elite scholarship or into a highly selective college just to an amazing test score sorry could you repeat the question are you saying that like just from an amazing test score can you get in yeah can a high test score make up for not doing great during four years of high (sighs) school so i like to i like to call the the students that have like high gpas and low test scores or low gpas and high test scores my seesaw kids Mm -hmm. right because there's just like there's imbalance to some extent right imbalance is a strong word to say but i think this is where you know that holistic review really does come into play i'm just i'm I'm gonna say you know in my opinion i think that if i'm comparing two applicants one student that maybe has you know great gpa great transcript but just sucks as a test taker Mm -hmm. right um versus a student that you know the transcript isn't like you know the sexiest thing in the world but their you know their test score is like super high you know depending again if i'm assuming no other factors right i'm going to be looking at that and saying i want the kid with the high gpa in the transcript because that's a kid that's shown me four years of performance versus the other student that's really just four hours and filling in a bubble and yeah like not really all that much else right right? um so i think with students you know if, if you maybe don't necessarily have the greatest transcript whatever that looks like but you have a really strong test score i think this is where you know that can actually validate to some extent again depending on other factors this is where uh, (laughs) you know we talk about contextualized review and holistic admissions like this is this is where like that comes into play but i i really think that if you're shooting for a highly selective institution and maybe your transcript isn't strong one you need to explain that to me right and this by the way goes for any college i want to have an understanding of like why might that have happened i worked with a student um, a few years ago he was or actually no he was literally like one of my first students i ever did really real college counseling with um and his transcript was not particularly strong that's because his high school got rid of the ap program due to budget cuts 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, so he was a student, but he had some incredible extracurriculars and he studied his butt off on that SAT. I mean, this was before Khan Academy, by the way, guys. Like right. he had to literally go into like the library and open a book, right? All right? You know, he didn't know where that was. Um, and so, you know, this was a student though. He was he got really involved in his community um, and he ultimately ended up winning the Questbridge Scholarship for Princeton and uh, actually graduated a couple of years ago. Um, super, awesome. super cool kid. Yeah. So I would say, you know, this is where for students really it's about thinking holistically at your application and really be looking at all of those components right if you're not a strong test taker you need to think about okay well what else am i bringing to the table and some of those other elements if you're not really strong on the gpa you know app you know maybe the transcript section tell me why number one if they're really there might have been you know some stuff with a family mental health etc help me understand that a little bit more but you also might have been really involved in something that took a little bit of your attention away this is also though by the way students where i would say senior year especially for those kids can be a game changer right like let's say your transcript wasn't so hot up until the end of junior year this is where you might want to have the conversation about applying to schools and that you know that january february deadline time frame for schools that allow that and being able to show a strong first semester saying hey look i challenged myself and i kicked butt right um and so that's where you know there's a lot of different options out there to kind of help mitigate makes it sound like you know there's like a a problem but it's really more about thinking how can you strategically approach the admissions process to put your best foot forward yep well and speaking of uh kicking butt you know we we started off with this idea that every year you know of high school matters i think you you've made it clear that it, it matters in different ways for different students depending on their goals and their trajectories um what last bit of advice might you have to the parents, students uh, listening out there? I would say, I, I first want to address, like, especially right now, there's just so much unknown and just how uncomfortable that unknown is. Um, for those of you that know me, um, Arun, you can probably test, testify to this. I have a borderline pathological fear of the unknown. Like, I hate <laughs> the unknown. So this is one of the most, but I will say, like, I think this is where for families, like, recognize the things that you can't control and recognize the things that you can control right um there's in the college admissions process and this is the thing that makes people just go like literally crazy is just how much you cannot control right right? so i think when you're looking at maximizing the time in high school it's really about intentionality um i really hammer this home with my students what classes are you taking and why right what types of activities are you spending your free time doing and why Um, why are you continuing to engage in something? Why are you not continuing to engage in something, right? Um, And being able to have justification for it that actually sounds valid other than I just don't want to do it because that doesn't sound great either. So I think with families, it's one, recognize the things you can control and influence, let go of the things you can't, and really hone in on the the things that are in that control box. Um, But also know that, you know, and I think if you approach this process by really tackling those things, you're going to have better outcomes. You know, you and I, we talk about like the importance of a balanced college list. And a lot of that has to do with, well, what did you do during high school? And how did you maximize your time there? Right? Everybody should have a likely school. Everybody should have a target school. Everybody should have a reach school. And a lot of those options are going to be dependent upon how you use that time. Um, I think the last thing I would say, you know, specifically to students is to recognize and embrace the fact that you cannot do it all. Um, speaking from somebody that was a kid that tried to do it all, by the way, and literally struggled in college the first year with just how tired I was, be comfortable saying no to things. Um, I'm still struggling with that, by the way, as an adult. It's so hard because, you know, that fear, that FOMO is real, but own the things that you can, own the things that you do have time for, but let go of the things that you can't and really lean into the things that you want to lean into. I promise you your applications are going to be so much more interesting <laughs> to read, number yep. one. Um, but there's also a level of like, like uh, when I read a kid that's able to say to me, you know, I stopped doing X because I really wanted to do Y, there is some really interesting like self-engagement there that as a reader, I'm like, that's a kid that understands their limits. And that's a kid that has the ability to look inward and acknowledge themselves. And that to me is a really a great tribute and something that I want on my campus. That's right. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, wow. but uh, we have another yeah. podcast of just final thoughts. But I have uh, thoughts for your thoughts, Nicole. As always, you you really brought it. I'm sure um, people are already tuning into our Facebook page to check out all the wisdom that you uh, dropped there. But I do want to thank you for your time to uh, join us and uh, enjoy that uh, real wine country. Oh, I will. Thanks, Aaron. It's always good to see you. Take care. I knew Nicole would deliver a wealth of information as we talked about every year of high school mattering. 
The great takeaway, regardless of where you are on this college journey, every year of high school serves its purpose. As Nicole encouraged, students need to explore, take some risks, and give themselves opportunities to grow. It's not only part of high school and applying to college, it's part of a well-lived life. And speaking of a well-lived life, if you ever catch Nicole on one of her infamous Ask Me Anythings on CollegeWise's Facebook page, make sure you ask her about her time in Bulgaria. As always, thank you for listening. We've got loads more free resources at collegewise.com. And we look forward to you tuning again soon as we continue exploring the fundamental truths of college admissions.